0: show it is Tuesday November the 19th 8 a.m. on the East Coast 6 a.m. out in the mountains and uh, really early 5 a.m. out on the West Coast thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday morning the last day of uh, international matches friendlies Euro qualifiers If you didn't get a chance yesterday to watch Spain play against uh, Romania, I believe was their opponent, um, it was impressive. And, um, you know, we, we've we heard all of this, this talk uh, for a while uh, about, you know, the way that the U.S. should play, the way that we aim to play, the, our philosophy, and... Greg Burhalter came in um, with the same kind of posture. I'm going to implement a style of play that is based around possession, based around um, positional play. We're going to we're going to be proactive. We're going to take it to other teams, etc. Blah 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 blah. The way that we play, our identity. What is our playing identity? Now, in the past, past, uh, you know, U.S. men's national team has been has been known for its grit, for its its desire to work hard and, um, you know, often resulting in a counterattacking style of play. Certainly wasn't uh, anything very beautiful to watch uh, and, and never really achieved incredible results um, in terms of the world cup uh, it was it was more of a you know like we're gonna we're gonna give you a game we're probably not gonna be good enough we're gonna lose maybe just barely scare you but you'll move on and we will not um, and and so it was never a matter of athletes not having good enough athletes. We always had good enough athletes. If anything, we often had better athletes, uh, more physical athletes, faster athletes. When it comes to the, the individual players' ability to run and move and get around the field, what we have always lacked is in fact a, a playing identity in philosophy that would allow us to dominate possession, to keep the ball, to have a playing identity of, of being very proactive. Now, if our inability, or in the case of like a Diego Simeone um, coach team, a willingness to play without the ball to basically be so sound defensively that we're basically laying a trap for you that you're going to come at us and you're going to keep coming at us and and we're just going to absorb it's going to be impossible for you to score on us and we're going to wait for you to make the mistake we're going to kind of be like a part boa constrictor and part cobra we're going to pounce on you in the right moment and until then we're just going to choke you we're not going to allow you in to to have free reign at us. We're going to be very sound behind the ball. When you make the mistake and every team makes a mistake, every team makes multiple mistakes throughout the game. When that mistake comes, we are going to crush you. We are going to pounce on you and we are going to, uh, we're going to get you. So there, there doesn't have to be one philosophy, one style of play To be successful, you can be successful in a in in different ways. But if you're going to say we're going to play a proactive positional possession based style of play, then you've got to be able to execute that against Canada. We had like 36% possession at home. We couldn't keep the ball. Did we get the result? Yes. But going back to the philosophy of play, the reason why I bring up Spain, they have an identity. They know what they are. They know who they are. And they have this attacking positional identity you know, philosophy of, of possession oriented play. And when it's working like yesterday, it is just breathtaking. The ball is moving all over the field. People are making, uh, you know, runs, third man runs off the ball movement. You're seeing just this identity play out and it's, it's gorgeous. And, um, you know, they score four goals before half, and, and it, it could have been eight. I mean, it just was really, really good football. That is what we are lacking with the men's national team. There's a lot of talk about doing things. But like many things in American soccer, that's mainly what we get is talk, not action. We don't get the work. I've seen this play out in, in youth soccer matches. I've seen it play out with our national teams. I've seen it play out all across American soccer. We talk a big game, but we don't back it up. And And that backing up, uh, backing it up, may not be because we don't intend to back it up. It may just mean that we don't actually know what to do to back it up. When I watch the U.S. men's national team, And I see the way that they fail to execute. The execution is not because they made a bad pass. The execution is not because they're incapable of learning. They're not not dumb. There's not a lack of intelligence. What you're seeing is, when, with this lack of execution is a lack of teaching whenever I watch the U.S. Men's National Team it reminds me of a lot of what I see in youth soccer when it comes to teams that try to teach possession so they'll they it's kind of like reading over the cliffs notes, right? So they will say, "We're going to use our goalkeeper. We're not going to punt it down the field, or or, or try to avoid that as much as possible. Um, we're going to try to play through our our back line, etc." And so they talk about a few things, very surface level, but they never finish the details. So when the goalkeeper has a, has a goal kick, where do the center backs go specifically on the field? Do they shift if there's pressure? Where do the outside backs go? What is their role? What is their job? And depending on how you want to play, how you want to play out may determine how you set up. So you may you may be playing in a, three-back system a four-back system you may uh, have your outside backs tuck in and have midfielders drop wide there's all sorts of things that you could do as a coach so there it's not that, that there's one template one playbook that you have to teach but the point is you have to teach you have to teach the details Spain doesn't play the way they play because they say, go run around and just pass the ball back and forth. They play the way they play because it's rehearsed. When, when one player does something, other players know what that means to them. It's a cue. They know that means to tuck or that means to drop or that means to shift. They know that that means when this ball gets played, this third man begins a run. When they're at this place on the field, all of these things, they know it's not an accident. You don't play a proactive positional based style of philosophy of possession based soccer without those movements being rehearsed and intentional Those are the details I'm talking about. When you watch youth soccer, you may see teams try to pass the ball around, but positionally, it's very chaotic. So in response to that, you'll see coaches over-program movement and make it very rigid. Rigid. And what they do is they now create almost robots on the field. So they go, they go to the other extreme. They'll say, if you're a four or a five, you never go here, 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 and here. You always stay here. Well, if that's the case, don't watch Spain. Because you will see in Spain total football. Now, I'm not a Sergio Ramos fan. I'm a Barcelona supporter. And that's not the only reason I'm not a Sergio Ramos fan. I'm just not a Ramos fan. However, when you watch Spain play, he picks his moments to go forward. Whenever Gerard Pique was playing with the Spanish national team, same thing. He still does that at Barcelona. So you can overprogram and create a, a rigidity that you only do this, 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 and this, and you never deviate. You try to do a computer programming of your players. You run this sequence over and over and over again. This is the only thing you do. This is the only way you could do it. Never get out of position. Never go into this area because this is not your place. That is, a, that is a response to not giving details. So then we go to the other extreme of over-programming and we create restrictions. So we have chaos and we have supreme, complete order. Neither gets us where we want to go. What we need Are the details. The details that allows our players. To have freedom and expression. Details that allows. Our. Players to execute. In different situations. 1v1. Maybe they're a center back. They see space. They take the ball. Who covers. Those are the kind of. Aspects we're not seeing with our U.S. men's national team. There is no understanding of who goes where and when. There's no understanding of what role and what responsibility do you have as an outside back versus a center back. Does our six drop between our center backs? What do our outside backs do in response? When we play to the goalkeeper, is it automatic and default that our center backs split wide and provide options? What does the rest of the team do in relation? The reason why we can't get out of the back and we can't keep possession isn't because we have MLS players. That's not what's holding us back in regards to being able to play possession-based soccer. I've seen kids who who aren't the greatest of soccer players whose first touch isn't incredible, but positionally understand their role and when to be there and, and, and where to be, find the space and time to pick up the ball, get their head up and find a pass. So the execution of the pass Maybe it's good enough, maybe it's not. But positionally, they can get where they need to go. And these MLS players that are called in along with players from Europe, they all can 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 figure that out. They can learn that process if they're taught. What we're seeing from the US men's national team isn't a well orchestrated philosophy and identity. It's the Cliff's notes version of positional play without the details it's not good enough Spain reminded us yesterday of what could be and we have the talent to do it do we find the right people to get us there that is the question our sponsor this half hour is ductic brand d-u-k-t-i-g brand.com and um in most places in the country it's it's getting cooler and it's getting colder And it's time for you to gear up. Go to ducticbrand.com. Use promo code DWSHOW when you place your order and get 10% off of your next order. We'll be right back after this with Chris Kivlahan. the show thanks for tuning in we are happy as always to be joined by a friend of the show chris kivlahan chris welcome to the show how are you
1: i'm doing well thank you for having me back
0: Thanks for uh, being back on. As always, I wanted to uh, bring you on to talk a little bit about some of the things uh, swirling around American soccer. One of which uh, took place this past weekend. The uh, NPSL annual owners' meeting took place in Nashville. Um, There were some bits and pieces that started to leak out, and I know you were sharing a a few of those things that you um, were covering and, and and. heard uh, what things of note did you kind of learn about uh, coming out of the weekend
1: sure well it seems like uh, MPSL is going to take things a little slower from their previously announced uh, season structure uh, they were they had they had said they were going to do a um, like a spring season then the summer season in the middle and then a fall season it looks like 2020 it's just going to be the members cup again you know or a similar tournament to the members cup I assume they'll keep the branding the same uh, and then they'll implement a fall to spring season uh, you know for 2021 and then beyond that they've got some longer term aspirations uh, but you know I think it's less less set in stone to have a March to November uh, full season option for teams and then that would run concurrently with the uh the, the traditional summer season and then even beyond that you know a possible third division pro league so you know it's interesting to see the long term thinking and planning there uh but you know sort of a practical approach to uh to sticking with just a members cup style tournament for 2020 um you know, I think it it makes it makes sense given the short time frame and you know how many teams might be in a position to participate in something more than that right now.
0: So, a couple of things that you you brought up uh, the slower rollout. Any any determination as to why the brakes have all of a sudden been put on um, this rollout? Is it the fact that Detroit and Chattanooga? Um, are exiting and heading into NISA, uh, and that kind of pulled the steam out of it. Uh, w- w- what did you hear about, about the timing slowing down from what was anticipated to be something rolled out this spring?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I didn't hear anything specific around that, but I, from what I had been hearing uh, from clubs was not a tremendous number of teams that were, that were prepared to participate. In in the structure that was proposed previously, I think it also represents MPSL listening to uh, some of their stakeholders. As as uh, from what I had heard, there were teams in the West who were a little unhappy about the idea of you know the the West for context. Last year they started in February, right, and they played all the way through through August, right, with the playoffs. So you know to tell those teams that that February star is now part of another season and things that go along with that, potentially additional league dues, they'd already been doing that. Right. So you see in the, in the new structure, it sounds like they've kind of accommodated uh, those teams, you know, and that objection that they had received. Um, So I think you have a little bit of listening to, uh, to the, to the constituents. And then you also, I think, just have the practicality of the teams that were most prepared to participate in that left.
0: So looking at this uh, 2021 rollout, and you you mentioned fall to spring, which is my preference. I I think we're so... backwards and idiotic on some of the things we do in american soccer one of which being that we kick off in the spring and we finish up in like october november uh when we can get no visibility for the sport as opposed to finishing up late spring when the calendar's really much more wide open and and even tv uh, networks are are clamoring for programming that time of year um but you mentioned fall to spring, a rollout, uh, fall to spring, and and still keeping their classic summer season afloat, uh, which which doesn't really make any sense to me. Why the league as a whole would be trying to keep. You know, a foot in both buckets. Uh, why not go all in? Why Why not make a decision uh, and and embrace the sport the way it needs to, to be played in terms of a of a full season setup, but then turn around as you mentioned and then go. Well, maybe we'll look at in three or four years the idea of flipping it and going spring to fall, like. Wh- what is this? Is this, are these just thoughts thrown against the wall? Um, Different people like why the back and forth wishy washy, you know, fall to spring, spring to fall, we play summer, we don't play summer. Where is all of this?
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to point out that, um, you know, in the, in the phases of the, uh, of the, the plan, uh, you know, the, the first two phases are, more solid right which is the we're going to have a members cup style tournament in 2020 and then we're going to start fall to spring uh you know in 2021 are more sort of solidly drawn out whereas uh you know when you get to the the march to november it's a little bit more you know of a something that's going to be further evaluated right so um yeah, that that being said, I mean, I think the summer season, if you remember back to the materials that, that NPSL released when they first announced this, the summer season is seen as kind of the core of NPSL, right? And I think there are plenty of teams that are happy with that and don't want to do any more than that, right? They're happy to be a team that takes on college players in their off season and, uh, you know, gives them a place to play and, you know, has sells, you know, has like five or six home games and maybe they make the playoffs. Maybe they don't, you know, maybe they go to the open cup. Maybe they don't. Uh, I think there's plenty of teams who are happy with that existence, right? So the summer season's for them. Not all of those teams are going to want to participate in a longer season. And and I think that's fine. Right. Uh, But there's, a number of constituents who who also want a longer season. So I think that's the rationale behind having two different season options is that some teams are better suited to stick to the summer, uh, you know, program. So let them do that. And I think in the first, the beginning of this, they're, they're concerned about cannibalizing the summer uh, because one of the advantages NPSL has had has been that it has a pretty large footprint across the country so that you can minimize travel costs for you know within the conferences and if all of a sudden you pull you know let's say 30% of the teams out into the the longer season now those travel costs go up for the other 70% of teams in the summer season so i think i think that's part of why they're taking this phased approach that would be my speculation
0: in terms of one of the other things you mentioned was looking at something down the road of a professional third division. Um, is, is that something that would be another? Professional league started and started by the NPSL directly. Is this an association with a league like NISA or some you know rebirth of the NASL? Um, you know what are you hearing on the on the pro aspirations of this? You know, kind of uh, general ideas of a five year plan that were were tossed around this weekend.
1: Yeah, I think you know they could probably. Affiliate with a you know with a pro division or make one, but I the way I look at it is, is you're talking about doing something in 2025, and you're talking about lower division soccer in the United States. I mean, you may as well be talking about 2125, you know, um, because it's about as about as relevant, you know, um, about as practical. You know, it's just so far out, and you know, will Nisa be around then? I think you know, maybe if Nisa is around and it's and it's strong, uh, that MPSL would affiliate with it, right? I think there's just a lot of question marks. You know, you look at the failure rate of of clubs below MLS in this country, and you have to ask, well, how many clubs that are here today are even going to be around in 2025, right? So there's just so many, so many question marks when you're talking about lower division soccer, when you go out six years that I think uh, it's a, you know, I sort of feel the same way about USL, you know, talking about promotion and relegations. When you're talking about things that you're going to do six years from now in that world, it's just, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's see what actually happens.
0: When you look at the NPSL, they lost two of their biggest uh, brands and and even though the Cosmos, Jacksonville, Armada, Miami FC have been a part of the NPSL over the last few years, especially with the folding of, of the NASL, um, you know, from competitive play, Chattanooga and Detroit were birthed, bred, developed, matured. In the NPSL, they were uh, the calling card, the selling point, the marketing. I mean, it was the only flyer you needed to go tell the story of Chattanooga, go tell the story of Detroit City to uh, clubs around the country and, you know, sell that that this is this is the league that made that happen. The, the NPSL, mm-hmm. they're gone. They they have Graduated, matured, whatever you want to you want to call it, uh, into uh, Nisa with uh, professional aspirations looking at the remnants, what remains of the NPSL, and you're only talking about those two teams leaving, uh, but but uh, you're also knowing that the, the Cosmos have, have been discussing the idea that they're not going to play in the NPSL next year um, and and don't know what exactly what's going to happen uh, around Miami. Are they going to be in any way affiliated with the NPSL next year? Doesn't look that way, um, but the two big NPS calling cards that they had hung their hat on for, for many, many years and have inspired clubs like AFC Mobile to even get started in the first place. Chattanooga and Detroit are gone. And what do you see in that void, in that vacuum uh, of... Leadership, vision, pushing for growth in the league. Do you feel like coming out of this um, NPSL annual owners meeting in Nashville? Do you feel like uh, the organization has kind of lost its uh, its momentum, the wind in their sails in terms of growth and moving forward? And does it seem to be a little bit more of Pragmatism. Let's take it step by step. Let's slow down and figure this thing out. Where? Do, what do you? What do you see there? What, what are you hearing uh, from people in terms of the way the NPSL is viewed around the country?
1: So I think you know when we look at the plan that that you know NPSL is talking about with these phases. I think it's good for MPSL to have a long-term vision and that's a positive to see them articulating a long-term vision. And, you know, when the later phases of that are, are you know, for internal planning purposes, ambitious, that's great. Right. Um, even if we, you know, I might've said something like, you know, Hey, something that's going to happen in 2025, you know, it's pretty, pretty darn far out you know, internally. They should have plans like that. Right. Um, which is what, they were discussing. It was an internal meeting, um, but I think you look at a plan like that you say that just simply doesn't move fast enough for Detroit and Chattanooga, right? Who were, like you said, mature clubs that that were ready for the next step. They can't wait until 2029 or 20, 2024 for a full season amateur league. They can't wait for you know 2025 for a pro league. They got they got to move on, right? Um, for the you know for the growth of their club and you see things like you know obviously the Red Bulls coming in and, and trying to you know move on that market you know fortunately Chattanooga FC did a good job of, of repelling that but um, you know that that's that's a risk you know if these clubs develop you know develop the fan base someone else could come in and try to capitalize on that and take their momentum away if, if they don't progress themselves. Right. So clearly the MPSL plan doesn't move fast enough for Detroit and Chattanooga, but it may move fast enough for a large number of other clubs that are not as mature right now. Um, So I think when we talk about the post Detroit and Chattanooga MPSL, I think that's something that MPSL has to, be thoughtful about is who are we you know after these two clubs have left part of what came along with Detroit and Chattanooga was sort of an anti-establishment you know vibe right Uh, toward USSF I think when we see that they invited uh, the leadership of Nashville SC to speak at the conference I think that sort of tells you a different story of maybe you know a more a more compliant uh, MPSL going forward. At least it suggests it. I
0: think it was definitely one of the most bizarre things I can recall in recent uh, American soccer uh, to to see a an organization that ditched you in a in in, in a in a in a very. Um, there's still a lot of, of people that feel like they were done wrong in the way that all went down, leaving the NPSL, going into the USL, and then now the USL shifting into MLS. Um, to bring that, what has become of that original organization, uh, to bring someone in to speak at your meeting when this... this entity uh, originally was a part of your organization. It basically left you at the altar, and, uh, and then you're inviting, uh, inviting her back into your house. Uh, it, was a, it was definitely bizarre, um, and I saw you know, a lot of, of feedback online going, what in the world is going on? Uh, what was your impression of that? Because that, to me, was a really, really weird moment for uh, the NPSL.
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple different ways of processing it. You know, one, you could look at it and say, you know, the, the you know, the person who was going to speak, you know, was, you know, a highly qualified individual who had a lot of, you know, practical knowledge that could be shared with the teams. And, you know, of course, that's great, right? I think the the message that gets sent by having Nashville, uh, you know, SC there is a message of, well, is it? is it aspirational for MPSL teams to move to USL, right? Is that something that, uh, that is seen as, uh, as, as the track going forward, uh, as a positive track, you know, the problem with that of course is that USL league two competes directly with MPSL for teams. So, um, you know, it's just, it's a, sort of a strange message that, uh, I think you can you can certainly choose to interpret in a relatively innocuous way, but I think as we're sort of seeing where MPSL is post Detroit and Chattanooga, it's 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 a little curious, right, for those of us who've been paying attention for a while to say, Oh wow, so I guess the, what Nashville did is now you know, something you're gonna hold up, you know, that that's kinda weird, right? Um you know, and it raises it raises some questions. I think uh, certainly, I, th- I was I was somebody who looked at it the way you, you were describing as like that's kind of a strange choice given the history there. Um, but you know, uh, I guess we'll we'll see more you know, in the future as to what the what the you know what more comes from that type of thing.
0: When we look at the, um, you know, levels beneath the professional um, professionally sanctioned league, so that's Major League Soccer for the audience, USL Championship, NISA, USL League One, and then that kind of rounds out the men's side, and then you have the NWSL and the women's side. Um, but beneath that, you have the NPSL and USL League Two that kind of you know try to make the claim that they're they they are the de facto you know fourth division of American soccer i although you know us soccer has never set up any kind of sanctioning standards to operate as a fourth division league uh, in the country so they claim like well we're going to be the fourth division league uh, and this is the way we're going to kind of market ourselves you know to communities that we're kind of de facto fourth division and as you mentioned USL's operating league two in the same space at the same sanctioning level as the NPSL. And then, uh, seeing today, this, this announcement of another regional league being birthed, uh, up up in the Midwest, uh, out of Ohio. Um, when we look at the landscape of all of the soccer leagues, regional national beneath, uh, those top three professionally sanctioned levels, um, are we going to continue to see in your eyes uh, and in your mind more of this, uh, these announcements of regional leagues and, and staying away from in terms of big chunks uh, of teams moving into the NPSL and UPSL? Uh, I know UPSL have been having, you know, a lot of growth for a few years, but it seems like recently there's been a lot less of these massive UPSL rollouts and, and seeing more of these independent regional leagues pop up. What are you seeing and hearing, uh, at that level of soccer?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing because at the same time you have, uh, teams that just left the Gulf coast premier league, right. To, uh, to join NPSL. And I don't know if they're keeping teams in the Gulf coast premier league, you're probably more informed on that than I am. Uh, but, um, you know, I think, there, I, I I think there's
0: been discussions. I don't think anything is settled uh, either way from the GCPL standpoint, whether they would allow them in and also whether those clubs that are leaving the GCPL would actually field a team for sure or not. So I'm not, yeah. nothing's been decided as far as I've heard.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are certainly plenty of examples of, of clubs that are fielding teams in multiple leagues, right? So you can't roll it out, but um Yeah, I I think uh, certainly you see leagues popping up across the country that are more regionally oriented, and and there's an element of that that makes sense because they can tailor their schedules according to whatever works best for their region, right, in terms of when they play uh, and when they take breaks. So um, I had thought there was momentum in that direction, but then the... GCPL teams moving to NPSL sort of is a little bit of a monkey wrench in that.
0: When we look at... um you know, getting into the professional sanctioned leagues, we get into NISA, um, had, uh, a little, little bit of some, you know, bumps and bruises to start off, uh, as can be expected, uh, when you are launching a new, uh, enterprise, uh, on the level of NISA as a, as a professionally sanctioned league, uh, with, uh, Philadelphia shutting down for the fall, lots of speculation. Do they come back? Do they not? What have you heard on the Philadelphia, uh, uh, side uh, of the story. Yeah, they
1: won't be back for the spring um, you know at least as far as I've heard recently that that organization's efforts are, are more aimed towards being ready to rejoin NISA in the fall. Um, so Philadelphia' Philadelphia is very unlikely to participate in the spring, and I think it'll be interesting to see what emerges from this week's NISA uh, owners meetings. So they're having they're having their 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 board meetings this week in Chicago, and um, you know they're going to vote on the expansion teams there. And I think we'll have some news about what the actual lineup for the spring will look like coming out of that meeting, uh, because I think there's been a little bit of fluidity around which teams are actually going to be ready for the spring. Um, and uh, you know, I I suspect we're going to end up seeing a in Nisa spring season with somewhere between eight and ten teams. Uh, I think there are going to be some teams who aren't going to be ready, who are expected to be ready, um, and, uh, or, you know, who might have played in the fall but aren't going to be ready to, to play in the spring. Um, you know, I think there's going to be some, some turnover, particularly in the Eastern Conference. I think the West might be fairly stable, but I think the East is, uh, is probably going to look a little, look a little different, um, from fall to spring.
0: So in terms of, uh, looking at the East, the, the NISA East, um, what teams do you think might be, we be looking at for the spring? Um, obviously Philadelphia out Atlanta in mm-hmm. or out. I
1: think Atlanta's probably out. Okay. Um, so Atlanta, Atlanta was league funded, as far as i understand it for a lot of the a lot of the fall i don't really see why they would continue to do that you know going into the going into the spring um, that that doesn't make a a whole lot of sense to me that that would continue but you know i guess it's possible
0: who else do you see in the uh, aes miami back
1: i think oh yeah miami i think is a, is the safest bet I think Stumptown is very likely to be back. I think, uh, you know, you're going to see Detroit join. Um, you know, you're going to, you know, I think Chattanooga, obviously, is a, another one that's going to be solid. So, I mean, it's possible that those are your four teams, right? Uh, Michigan Stars, uh, from what I'm hearing, uh, you know, is is not solid for the spring. Just may not May not join for the spring. Um, you know, and then I think the question becomes for NISA is, you know, they've got a decision to make on the Cosmos, right? Do they, do they want to let the Cosmos into NISA? I think there are a couple votes against that. Uh, I think there are a number of votes for it. Uh, my informal polling got to around a six, four, two against, uh, type of, uh, you know metric
0: and and what do you uh, need to to get voted in what's the percentage
1: from what i've heard it's 75 um but you know
0: so they're not, so they're, they're they're right there
1: yeah i think they're there i think they'll get it because you know if you if you say okay atlanta's not really just you know that solid um you know you have you have questions about whether providence and connecticut are going to be ready um you know you uh you have you have questions about the Michigan stars or you add all those things up and you know you sort of get to a point where a solid team that you know has the means to be competitive and compete with with miami FC blow for blow um, you know and, and can afford to be at this level on a sustainable basis you know that's hard to turn down right um, that's hard to say no to when you're really when you look at how the number of teams you can say about that about in the league and it's it's uh you know you're scratching against the level you need to be at in order to maintain sanctioning so so do you really do you really turn turn the New York Cosmos away under those conditions
0: well maybe, i mean maybe look maybe i, I, do? I, I, I i'm embracing the cosmos <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i don't I, think so you know, i don't
1: think they do but it's possible right? Yeah. they have their they have you know, you, you have to worry about the wrath of U.S. soccer if you let the Cosmos in your league, right? Uh, but on the other hand, if you don't let the Cosmos in your league, um, you really miss an opportunity uh, because the Cosmos immediately, you know, look, within the United States, the name isn't what it used to be, right? There's been a lot that's gone on, um, but internationally, it's still, you know, a huge name. Right, It's still arguably the most well-known US soccer club in the world outside of the United States. And there are a lot of potential investors who would look at NISA from outside of the United States as a way to invest in US soccer that is uh, more traditionally along the lines of what they're used to, right? Or at least has the intention of being along those lines, right, without, without territory rights and expansion fees and investing in your club. So I think the cosmos bring a lot to the table from, you know, hey, this is one more team we can count on, right, being, being a solid team and the, the uh, international impact of really putting Nisa on the map, right?
0: So looking at NISA, you think eight to ten in the spring, what does that look like in the fall if you start to add in some of these teams that are may sit out the spring and in prep for the fall? Does that number get closer to fourteen to sixteen? Is it eighteen to twenty? What where do you think we are in that spectrum in terms of fall twenty twenty for NISA? Fall twenty twenty,
1: you know, so so you look at so say we're at you know, eight to ten teams you had four applicants. I think there's actually a decent possibility that if NISA accepts the Cosmos, they actually ask them to play in the spring, right? So I think there's a decent possibility that if the Cosmos get in, which I think is 75% likely, right, um, that NISA actually says, hey, could you be ready to play in the spring? Um, So then you have three more teams that have submitted applications for the fall, right? So say they accept two of them you're at like 12 teams for the fall right assuming everybody comes back so then you know then the question becomes who's going to apply for for 2021 and I don't know if they're going to take applications for spring 2021 yet or if they're just going to have everybody come in in the fall I think it probably would make sense to take teams in the spring but you know I I think that the numbers could be kind of more in the 10 to 12 range for fall 2020 uh, and the 8 to 10 range for spring 2020. So a little maybe less ambitious numbers than have been thrown around before.
0: So do you think that the pace of growth with NISA has slowed uh, since, you know, some of the excitement when it was first announced uh uh, about a year ago, there was a lot of talk, buzz that it then it kind of was building up in the spring, kind of you know um, petered out, and then all of a sudden they're like, no, 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 we're gonna get, we're gonna we're, we promise we're gonna get something thrown out there for the fall. And they kind of you know rushed out a season through this fall. Um, you know, obviously had some troubles as we've talked about. Um, has the has the project lost steam uh, in terms of? anticipated growth because at one point just a few months ago there were there were numbers of about 18 and 20 teams in nisa within 18 months it doesn't seem they're on, on on pace for that now is that attributable to their own mistakes is that attributable to management of the league is that usl teams going to usl instead what, what is your assessment on that
1: i think i think it's more that there's there are a lot of tire kickers Right, there are a lot of a lot of groups that have kicked the tires on NISA and um, are in wait and see mode, right? Uh, before they really want to take action. and then you talk to, you know, you, you look at you look at some of the teams that are in NPSL who might be in a position to move up, you know, let's say a Jacksonville, right? Well, they kind of want to worry about getting their stadium built. Then they're going to look at what the landscape looks like in 2021, right? You look at milwaukee torrent they want to kind of sit on the sidelines for a little bit and see how things shake out and then look at going pro in 2021 right so i think you have a lot of that those are two that that names we know right but there are also investor groups who we don't really know a whole lot about who i think have the same mentality of let's just see how this thing shakes out you know before we you know, spend a a couple million dollars that we're never going to get back in terms of the total cost of owning a third division team.
0: So, um, last kind of last, uh, topic I want to get to you with is, uh, the USL recently announced in the last few days that they were exploring the idea of launching a competing women's professional division one league against the NWSL. Um, have you heard uh, in in that story coming out? Have you heard any explanation as to why they would entertain their own first division league versus you know their their team owners joining the NWSL? Is it just to keep the franchise fees in in the USL with Papadakis and company, or like wh- what what is the motivation for creating a? second, first division, uh, you know, competing league with the NWSL.
1: You know, I, I, I can only speculate, uh, you know, that probably they look at the NWSL as, as a league that isn't that strong, right. That if the USL put a, you know, more attentive central office together and, uh, you know, followed kind of the USL, roadmap for building a league they already have a bunch of teams within the usl system that could you know expand into having uh, a women's team that you know maybe they could build something and then you have what happened with the nasl occur where teams begin to defect until there's just a you know the 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 other league has lost too much blood right uh and then it's you know teams come over or or they die right so that that i think is what history would tell us uh is likely the the plan but who knows um you know i think us all does a good job running the type of leagues that they run so um you know we'll see where it goes right
0: we will see where it goes. That is a good way to leave, uh, leave it for today, for sure. Chris, how can people follow your work, read more about what you're covering in the world of American soccer?
1: Sure. So uh, I rate for Midfield Press. That's midfieldpress.com. And then uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at my last name, K-I-V-L-E-H-A-N, uh, on Twitter
0: perfect well chris thanks for coming on the show as always we always enjoy talking with you and uh getting your thoughts on uh the comings and goings and uh all of the things happening within american soccer so i appreciate uh you coming on the show today and uh, spending some time with us we look forward to having you back on again soon awesome thanks me too Thank you. That is Chris Kivlihan of Midfield Press. If you're not following him on Twitter or uh, reading uh, his site there, Midfield Press, you are missing out. Do yourself a favor and follow him today. Follow his work. Um, He always has really good insight and tidbits and things going on that other other, uh, publications aren't getting their hands on or at least as quickly as he is. So check him out. Kivlahan at Kivlahan on Twitter and follow his work. Uh, Really appreciate him coming on the show. We'll be right back after this.
2: No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them, it changes everything
0: Kibblehan for joining the show today and uh, talking uh, about the NPSL annual owners meeting, some NISA stuff. One thing that is clear um, when you come out of these meetings, whether it's the NPSL, whether it is NISA, um, it's, it's, it's very apparent that um, the, Overall guidance, the vision piece, the plan is just non-existent within American soccer. There's a lot of well-meaning people who who want to do right by the sport, who want to do well by the sport. They want to build something. Um, but even in talking to, to people who... In, even in the, lot, in the last few days about, you know, what can we do to fix things? How can we make something better? What, what, what can I do to help? Here's, here's what I would like to see happen. Here's what I w- and in every one of those conversations, i found that there's been kind of a, a zeroing in a focus on a piece, but not the whole. And that is where, we have issues. The USL is focused on the USL. It's their business. It's, it's what they are about. Soccer happens to be the vehicle, um, but they are running a business where, where they collect franchise fees. It's how they make their money. It's how they pay their bills. It's how they turn a profit. Major League Soccer, they're focused on what they do. The NPSL is focused on what they do. So when they look at a regional league like the GCPL or they look at the UPSL or they look at NISA or they look at others, it's always from the lens of what we're doing. And this is not specific to one. This is what we see over and over again. You talk to a state association, same thing. What we're missing is I don't think it's a great mission statement, but what we are missing is a vision based off of U.S. soccer's mission statement, which is to make soccer the preeminent sport in all its forms here in America. Now, I don't think that's good enough. I don't think it's a good enough mission statement. We've talked about it on the show. I think that our mission should be that we become the greatest soccer country on earth. I think that should be our mission and that we should not stop until we achieve that mission. And even then, we should be trying to continue to get better, to to continue to excel, continue to improve in all areas. But that should be our mission. That should be what drives us to create goals and systems. The reason why I bring this up here at the end of the show is that when I look at all of the things going on, people are trying to figure out solutions. They're trying to figure out a way to make things work. Well, if we just fix this, if we, if we could start a league here, if we get our league doing this and then, you know, maybe we can get this connected later and this It's like building a house saying if I can just like build the perfect bathtub. If I can just build the perfect fireplace, the rest of the house will come together. If I, if I could just square up that one wall, the whole house is going to make sense. We wouldn't build a house without a house plan, without a set of drawings that gives us direction, that gives us a sense of purpose. And that is what we need, a plan to go forward thanks for watching the show thanks for tuning in as always you can watch the show on facebook.com forward slash wrkmn or at danielworkman.com you can also follow me on twitter or instagram at danielworkman thanks for watching we'll see everyone again tomorrow